Hello, and thanks for listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today, I talked to Fred Elteringham. Arguably, Fred has had some of the coolest gigs throughout the years he's been playing. Some of the artists he's been working with include the Wallflowers, Katie Lang, the Dixie Chicks, and for the last few years, Cheryl Crow. Fred is also a powerhouse in the studio, working with people like Tears for Fears and T-Bone Burnett. To find out more about this podcast and others, go to workingdrummer.net. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and you can also subscribe on iTunes. Here is Fred Elteringham. What's going on with you this year? What's happening? This year has been a ton of recording so far. Okay. Um, we were going to tour with Cheryl at the end of the year. She was all gung-ho and staying on the road and mm-hmm. booking a ton of shows for this year, but it turned into um, more of a writing year for her, I mm-hmm. guess. So um, we only have a handful of gigs and... We're just, uh, i just been working around town. Okay. Yeah, I, I was looking at kind of the your list of the people you've been playing with, and um, uh, it's kind of, well, have, how long have you been in Nashville? I've been in Nashville now. It's eight years, uh, this yeah, March. Okay. And where were you before that? Uh, before that, I was in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in L.A. five years on and off. Okay. So we did two years, and then we moved to New York for two years, and then moved back to L.A. for three years. Oh, wow. Um, and it was all for work. You know, It was all for people I was playing with. Okay. All right. But the, actually, the first time I moved to L.A., it was, um, it was just to go out there and try to get work. And Okay. Well, man, if you don't mind, can can we go back, like, just where, you, where you're from and... Oh, yeah. and, and uh, kind of what got you interested in music and, and yeah. playing and all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah. from uh, Westchester, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. outside of Philadelphia, a little suburb. And uh, I'm the youngest of five, and we all played instruments, except for one of my brothers didn't play an instrument. My That's why you're was. an uncle and almost a great uncle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and we all started taking lessons around the same time. My... Um, Actually, I remember the day my mom said, do you guys want to take, um, do you want to play instruments? Do you want to take lessons, learn instruments? And we all said yes. And uh, my sister played piano. She took piano. My oldest brother took bass. And my brother Matt at the time said um, he wanted to play drums. Yeah. And I said, all right, well, I'll play guitar. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, I want to play guitar. <laughs> oh, one of those okay. brothers. Yeah. Gotcha. Right. I was like, fine, okay, I'll play drums then. <laughs> and uh, he still plays guitar, but um, so that's how that worked out. And then we just started, we all started taking lessons. So at, how old were you when you got started? I was seven. Oh, okay, nice. And uh, we all started taking lessons at this place called Beams Music in Frazier, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. um, which is still there, I think. And uh, my teacher was this guy, Bob Quigley. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. He was like a, just a, 
he was actually an exterminator, but he was a uh, like a jazz drummer. Yeah, and played in like wedding bands and stuff. You know, that wasn't his nickname, the exterminator. The exterminator. No, no, no. <laughs> Thank yeah. God, he actually he was, was an exterminator, a real exterminator. <laughs> Get this guy, the yeah. exterminator. <laughs> and uh, you know, I took lessons from him until I was like fifteen. Wow, or something like that. Okay, sixteen. Yeah. Um, were, did you know that this is what you wanted to do as you were taking lessons from him? I mean, I mean, throughout life or, or as you were growing up, just kind of like, did you, I mean, it's what I wanted to do. Yes. Yeah. You know, cause we all started playing, uh, like in a band, we had a band called rocks, R O X me and my brothers and sometimes my sister. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it was just something that I always did. You know, I didn't play a lot of sports or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It was it was just all about music. Yeah. And um, so it was the first thing where I was like, wow, I can actually do this. And yeah. I love it. You know, it was just fun. It wasn't it wasn't a lot of, you know, right, work. It right. wasn't painful for me to practice or anything. It was like, right, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> it was cool. Did you ever, were your parents ever like, okay, give it a rest? Kind no, of my, actually, my parents were super supportive. My mom... Um, is a musician and she, um, like she sang in the choir and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know, and she can play a little piano. And I should say for the record, my mom was as well. This doesn't come from personal experience. <laughs> she was super supportive and, yeah. and my sisters just had no say. You were saying I just, that because they're listening. Well, <laughs> you don't want to get drunk. no, no, it's just a common theme. You know, it's like, uh, you know, no one likes to hear drummers practice, not even other drummers. It's just that constant. Yeah, I used know. to actually, my, we didn't have a basement or anything. So okay. my drums were, were in my room yeah. most of the time. And, but I always had like a tiny room. And I remember at one point, um, so that's why you're doing studio work. It's just this it's natural just evolution. Feeling. It just feels I just right. I to be in a small room. Uh, <laughs> Padded room. And we did record in all those rooms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just with a boom box, though. Okay. We just put up the boom box. Yeah. Uh, but uh, my drums, actually, I put them in my parents' room for a while mm. because they had the biggest room. <laughs> and I, re- I could sit, I would just play in their room. I remember one time, I don't know if it happened a number of times, but my dad laying in bed while I was like sitting there playing Zeppelin 1, you know, like practicing along. <laughs> so... <laughs> they were super supportive. They, they say, did not care at all. They were. There's they were, no definition of being support more supportive than what you just I, described. I, yeah, I know. I don't remember them one time saying like, "All right, keep it down, guys." You know. Wow, wow. I have a I have a a, a walk in an old walk in closet that I converted into a practice room with just as much soundproofing technique as I could muster from you know people that told me how to do this, you know, and when we first moved in and, um, spent all this time and money and energy and doing all this this stuff in this house. Yeah. And, um, taking a break from all the construction on the back porch, I'm standing out there and I hear my neighbor about a block away practicing his drums. (laughs) I have no idea who this person is, but it's Nashville. So, you know, you're going to hear that person. I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I spending all this? But yeah, if they don't care. No, no. And uh, my family is super supportive of all that stuff. You know, I've, I've come upstairs from practicing. My kids are already asleep, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no soundproofing in my practice room at home now either. So. Wow. Well, I don't know. And maybe it was just peace of mind from, from my perspective. Yeah. Or maybe it's just the desire to be in a small, closed, uh, I know, closed yeah. room. 
So, um, so the, at that point, so, so you took yeah, lessons to about lessons fifteen. About and, fifteen, uh-huh. and you know, I was in bands. I was in bands that whole time with either with my brothers or with uh, friends from school, like mm-hmm. in high school. Put a couple bands together and stuff, um, and then um, I didn't take lessons again until until I went to Berkeley. I, I, okay. I graduated from high school and then I was, I went to community college first, um, a Delaware County community college outside of Philly. Yeah. And then, um, go Bulldogs. Yeah. Was it? I, I don't, don't think they had any sports. Oh, okay. community college Sorry, have just, sports. They I probably, don't. probably not. I'm just, yeah. It's just <laughs> uh, trying to be supportive. For yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> it's actually the best I ever did in school. Actually, Me too. Isn't it weird? Yeah. Did you, uh, did you kind of have, a plan in mind when you're going to community college that I'm going to be going to Berkeley or no, I didn't know. I had no idea what I, I, I wasn't sure. I mean, I knew I wanted to keep playing music at that point. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, okay. You know, when I was little, I thought I was going to be join some huge rock band at some point and I would just be a rock star by mm-hmm. the early twenties, you know? Um, but I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> so actually my neighbor, was also a drummer. He was my best friend, Todd Terbetsky. My He uh, lived across the street from me. And his parents were my godparents, and my parents were his godparents. But he ended up taking drum lessons, too, from the same teacher, Bob. Mm-hmm. And one day, he said, um, hey, I think I'm going to apply to Berkeley. I'm going to go to Berkeley. And I was like, why am I not going to Berkeley? It's <laughs> like, yeah. what is this? You know, I, I've been doing this so much. I did it, you know, like eight years longer than he had been playing. And I was like, what am, why am I not doing that? Or, I mean, were you a better player than him? I mean, respect- well, it wasn't just that. It was just kind of like, you know, I just felt like, well, if he's going to go, I should, I should be doing that. Maybe, I should be playing, sure. you know, because mm-hmm. um, we were best friends. Yeah. That's the way it goes. And, uh, so I think I applied. I think I applied to MIT or M, you know, Musicians Institute mm-hmm. in California, and also Berkeley, maybe around the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't get. I didn't get the financial aid to go to Musicians Institute or something like that. So I that fell through. And then Berkeley said, "Why don't you come up to the five week." program first and check it out and see if you like it okay and um so i did that i went up and it was great i loved it it was it was amazing and i um actually auditioned for for their uh like scholarship thing that they have there during the five-week thing you can go and audition to get the scholarship and i got it i won one of the scholarships oh, cool. so nice. um and that was it. I ended up going back for that next, the following fall. So semester. it just made sense just the, between the two because the financial help and. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it just nice. felt right. And, um, I, you know, I instantly made some great friends there. Oh, so, cool. um, and actually Abe Laboreal Jr. was there at the same time and I saw him play yeah. during the five week program and I was like, I, well, I realized how much I needed to learn <laughs> and I was just kind of like, oh, killer. There's rock drummers here too. Yeah. You yeah, know, it yeah, wasn't yeah. just, you know, I was terrified of the jazz thing because I hadn't 
really studied jazz that much. And uh, it kind of made me realize, okay, well, this isn't all just about, you know, a jazz program. Sure, sure. And and it, that, I'm wondering if that's kind of evolving over time um, because I think studying jazz in kind of a higher education is was the norm for so long. Um, I was just listening to an interview not too long ago with Steve Smith, and, you know, that's all he wanted to do. There was no other program well especially through the 70s but but for a long time and, and it seems like it's ever evolving too as different styles of music are gaining more um i don't know what the word is but you know it just uh, validity you know oh, yeah. outside i mean i'm a huge jazz fan yeah I love it. me too and, and i studied it in school and mm-hmm. and uh there are definitely um you know it's merits as far as studying it oh, that yeah. apply to everything yeah um, but it can't be taken away, especially when you, I don't know, you see the, the musicality and the skills that come from pop players and rock players that, yeah. that do something that's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I think it's, uh, I wouldn't play the same way had I not learned about jazz and started mm-hmm. studying it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think it's, it's huge. And I still practice a lot of jazz records, even though I don't play in jazz bands or anything, you know? And, uh, you know, it just terrified me because I was, you know, I'd only played rock and roll mm-hmm. and rock music from from a, from eight years old until then, you know. Well, and growing up, was there something, was there, uh, I mean, you, you talked about playing along to Zeppelin One. Was there something that kind of really pulled you in, uh, a player or a band? Well, yeah, de- I mean, definitely that, that record in particular because it was the first record I ever bought with my own money, you know. Wow. I still have it. But uh, I, I think the first thing that really blew me away, drumming-wise, um, I think was, was Hendrix with the, the experience and Mitch Mitchell and that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, it, was, it was so different, you know. It was just incredible. So... I just got a new turntable, and we've got those. If you want, we can put those on. Yeah, the <laughs> that's fine. Uh, yeah, I had the, I had a tape of uh, Smash Hits. You know, it had all the different singles and stuff on it. And I used to just listen to it over and over again. And then I finally, my teacher made me learn "Hey Joe." Yeah. And that was, so that was like the first one of the first songs I ever learned. Wow. And I could not play it exactly the way Mitch Mitchell did. I probably can't still, but uh. <laughs> well, I mean, going back to jazz, I mean, think about that. I mean, his he was super, super jazz influenced. Yeah, yeah. I think Elvin Jones was like one of his big influences. I'm sure. And when somebody told me that, um, it clicked. Yeah, I heard it. I, I I didn't hear it before. It just it sounded like that evolution of rock drummers in the '60s that grew up listening to what was available. Oh yeah, which was jazz. But then when you hear the connection between Elvin Jones and and to Mitch Mitchell, you're like, I hear those fills. I hear that. Well, it's funny. You hear that connection, but, but then at the same time, I, I listen to Elvin Jones and I hear Mitch Mitchell. Yeah. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. I mean, yeah. just, just reverse in the reverse way because you hear this just heavy Tom oh, yeah. thing and you're like, oh. Yeah, the tuning. I get it now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the tuning. The way well, it sounds, right, maybe. right. There's yeah. more to it than just what was available gear-wise, what was available music-wise. Yeah. But that, what a glorious period oh, yeah. as far as rock drumming, what was evolving in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, I love it. Yeah. 
I mean, I still go back. That's that's the stuff you st- I still go back to. Yeah, yeah. Know. But well, so Mitch Mitchell, yeah, and then you know, and I got to actually learn those songs and then play them with my brothers, mm-hmm. which was huge, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at a very young age, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we record. We were we started playing them in front of people like right away, you know, because the music school would put on these shows at um, uh, like high schools or middle schools or right. Oh, where you guys were taking where, lessons. Yeah. They, they would, nice. they would set up a show to promote their store to get kids to come in and take lessons, you know, so they would put bands together um, or whatever bands were already together who have people that were taking lessons mm-hmm. there. They would just have them play. And that seems like a more more and more common thing. Uh, maybe it's just the promotion of it, but that seems like a very progressive kind of thing for for a, uh, a school to do to get kids that yeah. experience, you know. And obviously, it obviously worked because it, it that getting that feedback. I mean, what was it like playing? In I was terrified, but I was. I mean, I remember being so scared the first time I ever did it. Um, was at a high school, and it was like uh, my sister. We had to play Piano Man. By Billy Joel, my <laughs> sister wanted to be <laughs> because she knew that was one thing. You had one to song. play. She knew. Piano. Well, they were like, "Well, your sister knows Piano Man, so let's go play that." And I was like, "Okay," and uh, I was so scared. I remember being just walking out there. I only played the hi hat. I just played. I just played a waltz on the hi hat. That's all I did the whole time. I was just like scared. Berkeley, uh, did you, I know sometimes people go through the whole thing. They graduate, some people don't, you know. what? Uh, no, I didn't graduate. Okay. I went for a few years, uh, like two years, and, um, and then I just dropped out because I was um, supporting myself, you know, mm-hmm. and I was working jobs, and um, it just became... Uh, it was just like too much for me at that point mm-hmm. for, you know, to have to, cause it was moving into, um, taking marimba and all that stuff. And I, I didn't, I knew that I didn't have the practice time to, to put in, like I didn't have the time to go and, and sit and practice and really dive in the way I would need to, to get because of work, work, because of working and yeah, I had yeah. to support myself, you know? Yeah. So, um, it was. I just knew it was. It was going to be too much, and it was felt overwhelming. And I was already playing. I had joined this band. We were called Atlas Shrugged. It was like a rock band, and um, so we were already playing gigs around town and stuff. And I just kind of, you know, just didn't want to spend any more money in school at that point. You know, I didn't. It, I didn't rule it out like going back, but. Mm-hmm. Um, which I still don't rule back. <laughs> I still, I still have my dad every once in a while. Are you ever going to finish college? Uh, well, I'm 44 now. Maybe. I mean, you can always go back. But uh, yeah, I didn't graduate. Okay. Well, uh, so because of because of supporting yourself, and, and then where did you go from there? What uh, kind of well, then um, I got. I started playing with this band. Well, I was playing with this band, Jack Drag. And then I got into this band called the Gigolo Ants. And they were, they had a label or they had a, you know, they were signed to a label, RCA. 
And they were already touring and they had a record out already that was doing okay and everything. And um, it was like a power pop band and they were touring. They had been touring for years. And so I joined that band and just started touring. And that was it. That's the beginning. One of the things that we keep coming across in this and talking and in these podcasts and stuff is that kind of expressing your own style of playing Mm -hmm. and people like saying, Hey, I want that person. I want that player on this song, this recording, this gig, whatever, because they do what they do. Um, and I, I, it just, the things that I've seen, heard you do it, it, you have, uh, I wouldn't, I mean, you have a unique style, but you have a style that, that no matter if I've seen you with Dixie Chicks or with Cheryl or different things like that, I mean, covering a wide range of music, but it's still you. I mean, do you feel like you, that you're going through this time? For me, I just remember that, that going through this time when you're really developing your sound, you're developing your um, technique, your setup, you know, symbols you play. Do you feel like you were getting there at this time or you were already there? At that there? time? No. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. I mean, I was so young. I mean, maybe I thought I knew what I was doing at that time, mm-hmm. you know. But I definitely, looking back now, I didn't know. Um, I'm, I'm trying to of kind of tie the arc into kind of your, your development as a player and kind of why you are where you are right now. Yeah. You know, what you're doing. Yeah, well, I guess... Um, Happy accidents or... No, I think it all, well, it's everything, you know, it's everything you do. It's starting from hearing that first Beatles record or hearing, you know, Hendrix for the first time or Mm -hmm. whatever. And just listening to that and taking it in as a musician and really, and then sitting with it and playing along to it, you know, for an hour or a million hours, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure, sure. That's, that's just the way it becomes ingrained in you and maybe you um will steal drum fills from certain people or whatever you know and then uh develop that i guess and eventually some of those fills will stick and become sort of your repertoire for everything or whatever you know right or not and i just think it's it's everything you listen to or play along to is going to have some sort of influence on you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, and And I just, I don't know how, I guess everyone's an individual. So, you know, the, your, your thing is going to come across if it, if, uh, I don't know how to explain it. You know, I mean, I remember hearing, reading that in Modern Drummer. I started getting Modern Drummer instantly as a, you know, seven year old because they had it at the store. Mm. And seeing people say that forever and ever, you know, to develop your own sound. So it's always been in my mind to interesting to to have my own sound. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I I'm you know that's that's something that stuck with me. And so I would play. I still play along to records all the time. That's how I practice. I play along to music. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, growing up. I mean, you you mentioned this, and everybody kind of has their own their own path, and some of it's more book related or you know there's there's that debate of you know how much do you spend in in drum books and and different things like that and there's there's the kind of the that methodology of um of learning to play uh and the play along thing is really nice but i think 
it's the listening aspect of music and listen, or uh, of of learning to play drums uh, that I think that a lot of us forget to just listen. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, spend time listening. And uh, so, do you feel like that? That's just kind of even been, more and more to me now. It's become more important listening to stuff. Why is why is it more important? To I you don't now? know. I just for just you mean get, for yourself? Or yeah, you think maybe for, for myself mentally, and I mean, for, for my playing. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, as far as advice to uh, players coming up, do you think, I mean, that's that's a lost thing or do you think that that's... Probably always... not. I mean, there's... Yeah. I feel like everybody is good now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, there is that. There's so many... <laughs> everybody's good. You know what I mean? And there's dudes who are... It is great or their style is that, you know, everyone's got their own thing. It's like, there's so many incredible players like on yeah. every instrument and you just kind of go like wow so you have to have your own thing or else right, right. <laughs> you know what i mean is it is it is it that there are all those there are a lot of good players or that we just know about all the good players well that's right yeah i mean now that the or maybe social media is so massive that yeah. everyone has their own thing that you can just you can hear everybody yeah. too you can see a picture of them and listen to them play instantly <laughs> where they could <laughs> on your been. phone i know you know? where maybe uh, even 10 years ago you would have known about this person yeah unless you heard him down the street and, and i wonder if 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 there's that kind of mix i remember somebody was saying you know man it's like all this stuff, this 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 fixing in the in the vocals. It's like it's not going to teach kids to sing. And I thought, but if that's what they're hearing, if they're hearing this pitch perfect thing, maybe they're going to think, well, that's the norm. I have to match that. Yeah. And, and maybe that's maybe players are hearing this online or saying, oh, that's that's the standard. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Well, it's just, yeah, same thing as like a drummer going like, I have to be right with the click, or if they're all mm-hmm. some screwed, you know, or I got to yeah. be this or that and it's like well yeah sometimes i mean but you can't go to any situation thinking like i have to be right on the click for this session or i have to be right you know it's like it's it's not you know you can't have any preconceived notions about what situation you're going to into because it's always going to change sure yeah somebody might go well i want it really loose i want to kind of behind the click a little bit on this or you know, and if you stu- if you've been practicing like staying right on it, you're gonna have a hard time. Yeah. Can you um, talk a little bit about what led up to the Wallflowers gig and that stuff? Well, yeah, we met them on tour, and I just became friends with the bass player Greg, who's a great guy. Um, we hit it off, and. Became pals and just kept in touch over the years, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would go see him when I was in L.A. or whatever, you know. Go And I'd go see them when they'd come to town, wherever I was living. And uh, and then when Mario left, they called me up to come play. Nice. So I'd kept playing. I, I uh, Well, I left the Gigolo Ants in like 1999. Well, that went for a while then. It was like six years, yeah. And then uh, I started playing with Juliana Hatfield. It was like a indie rock artist mm-hmm. from Boston, and toured with her for a while for that for that year or two thousand. And then um, that's when I moved to L.A. after that tour, that first tour with her, mm-hmm. and. Um, just to try it 
and get some get some work and get stuff going on there and not a lot really happened i didn't i didn't get a ton of work and it was hard and i was struggling and um i was a catering waiter you know, but what was I, the motivation to get off the road? And I mean, you, you were. Well, I didn't want to get off the road. Okay. I just wanted. I just wanted. I just wanted to get out of Boston. At that point, we had been there nine years, and I was like, "Well, I just want to go see what if I can, you know, give a, a, a shot at L.A. You know what I mean? And just mm-hmm. just try something different. Try out, see it, what a different scene is like. And all the guys from the Gigolo Ants had moved out there, and a bunch of people. Um that I was friends with in Boston um, moved out there okay, and we're all working and doing stuff. So I was like, eh, why not? So that know? was your draw to LA. Yeah. So the connections. Kind of all my friends. Yeah. A bunch yeah. of my friends had moved there and stuff. So, um, and my wife is from thousand Oaks, California, and she had family in Sherman Oaks, which is in the Valley there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, her grandpa was like 90, I think at the time and he was getting up there. And so Mm -hmm. we were like, well, let's go spend some time with him and we can just be out there and I'll start working and it'll be amazing. And it wasn't, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I started doing some stuff, you know, I was playing with a few different bands and, and things, but it wasn't, nothing was like taking off. It was, but you were working, you were, you had, you were, I was playing gigs. I was playing playing gigs, gigs, but when you, but you said you were singer, songwriter stuff, but I was, you know, my main, source of money was coming from catering. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, uh, I think right around that time was when I first started. I had a friend out there named Charlton Pettis. He's a producer mm-hmm. who ended up calling me and he lived, ended up living like a few blocks away from me and he had produced some gigolo and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he called me over and he said, hey, you want to come over and record? And I got there and it was Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears. And I was like, what the hell is happening right now? <laughs> so we, we started recording Kurt's solo album. Yeah. And over time, you know, it was just that was just the first session of it. And it was an ongoing thing, you know, they would write songs and I would just go over there and put some drums on pre-recorded tracks or whatever. And during that time, they Tears for Fears got back together. This is I have a question about that because <sighs> I was looking at the list, and um, a buddy of mine mentioned that this record uh, that uh, two thousand four. Everybody yeah. loves a happy ending. Uh-huh. Yeah, because just a, that's such an iconic band. Oh yeah, it's pretty amazing. So this is leading up to that, or yeah, yeah. that was the first you know thing that, and they got back, back together while we were making his solo record. Wow, and. Uh, and then they just called me to come start working on some of their stuff. It was at my buddy's house, you know, just in his little garage. Wow. And then we finally ended up putting, I forget if I had moved. Yeah. We moved to New York during that time. Right after that, we moved back to, I started, I got this gig with Ben Queller. Um, he was like a, he was sort of like an indie rock artist then. Mm-hmm. Um, from Texas who now lives or was living in New York. He's living in back in Texas now, but, um, and he had opened some shows for Juliana Hatfield. So, uh, he called me, his drummer quit and he said, Hey, we're going on tour. Do you want to come play with me? Mm-hmm. So I, we were like, sure. And we had always wanted to live in New York anyway. So we were like, let's 
go live in New York and I'll play with Ben. And, you know, so we did that. And I think while I was living in New York, the Tears for Fears guys called me and said, hey, we want to put the final drums on the record. Can you come out? So I went out, went back out and did a week at, at Sound City that oh, now, now I mean, it's a famous studio, but now it's even more famous because of that movie and all that. Sure. So we did the drums there for, it was just me in that huge room playing along to the tracks and stuff, you know, of all the demos we had done. Yeah. And for, for a week, I got to just go in and play Tears for Fears songs. For, <laughs> it was pretty incredible. <laughs> Thinking back now, even like, I didn't know what I was what I was really doing then. I feel like I didn't what do you know, mean? What? <laughs> like in the studio, yeah. I didn't know as much, you know, about just uh, just getting sounds and all that. You know, like the certain just tones out of different drums and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I had I think we had uh, the drum doctor there help us out um, for that week. So, I mean, the drums sounded amazing, and they yeah. you know the record came out great and everything, but. They were really taking a chance on a kid <laughs> out of nowhere. Well, I, I hear these, I've heard these stories. Like I think Manu Kache played on some tracks, yeah. and um, I hear these stories. Like uh, everyone, everybody wants to rule the world. Everybody wants to rule the world. Yeah. How? I think that was that dude. Uh, I think on that song that may have been that Mark Brzezicki. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Maybe it wasn't, but I, I just, just Manu played on a bunch of stuff, though. Manu, yeah, and just the the, the number of takes um, they would would experiment, and I, I realize this is a a different time in the '80s when hundreds of thousands of dollars were being spent on producing records, and you could just sit there and do. Well, I asked favorite. them about that too. Yeah, because okay. I had heard that. That's too. what I'm. That's what I'm kind of curious about. Well, what yeah, like that. Because um, Manu played on this song called "Bad Man Song." I don't know if you know that song, but I the do. drums are incredible. You okay. should check it out. And uh, the whole drum intro is this crazy thing. And they told me, I was like, well, they had done a ton of takes, and then they put it all together. They kind of put the take together. That's what Roland told me. And they would do that with a lot of the a lot of the stuff. Um, they would just take parts that they loved from, you know, from whatever, which is kind of what we do everybody does now <laughs> right yeah. but was it was it that way with this record that you were doing as well uh sort of they were t- i i don't know i mean we would play i would play a bunch of takes mm-hmm. you know um and then i think charlton said most for the most part they would take a bulk of one take and then maybe find some different stuff so it wasn't wasn't totally that for this okay it wasn't as complicated i don't think as some of those some of the earlier songs. I mean, there's a couple things, but you just, I just wonder kind of those, those experiences where you just have a, a very, um, seemingly demanding artist, you know, or you hear these stories of, uh, you know, whether it's Mutt Lang or somebody like that. And just like, man, how do they, are they getting what they want from this person? Uh, um, are they sapping the life out of them? Um, how do you handle that, that kind of pressure? But I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like it was a pretty well, relaxed. even when I've been in those kind of situations where they're like, let's do another take. Let's do another take. You, I mean, you just have to go with it. You can't just, yeah, right. you can't just be like, I'm out of here, you know? Right. And usually it's, it's, there's a reason behind it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah, you just gotta 
just keep doing it. <laughs> you know, just do sure, it. sure. You're there. Because you don't know. Right. Maybe it will get better. It may not. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, maybe the next tag is going to be even better than you may play something a little bit different, uh, you know, just a little fill or something that's going to, you know, you never know. Right, right. And I think, uh, I mean, even like Johnny Be Good, I think, was like 68 takes or something like that. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how they used to do it back in the day. Holy You know, holy. they would just keep playing the song. Wow. I hear these, sometimes I hear these, there's an Elvis Costello song where he's, the song ends and then you hear it starting again. And I wonder if they're just like, keep the tape rolling, we're going to keep going. Yeah, maybe, yeah. You know, and then we're just going to pick the one we want. Yeah. And it's really cool. You start hearing the songs starting again and then it's kind of fades out. <laughs> I'm like, I wonder if they... If they just kept going and made, did, did another take. But yeah. they liked the beginning of that next one, so they just kind of yeah, put it in leave there. It on there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was really cool. Oh, yes. When we were living in New York, that's when I got offered the Wallflowers gig. Mm-hmm. And uh, I and Melissa, my wife, um, got pregnant. And... We uh, didn't want to have the baby in New York City. Mm. Um, so just because it would, it was, you know, it's hard when you're struggling to oh, well. <laughs> enough yeah. and, uh, to have a baby. We lived way uptown and in wood and stuff. And uh, it just would have been a, a huge hassle for us to have a baby there. And having the Wallflowers gig come up was, a, was a, just a, a good reason to... Nice. We went back to LA, back to Sherman Oaks, and uh, that was that. We just, uh, st- I started touring with them, mm-hmm. you know. How long was that, did that gig last? It lasted about, it lasted, was like eight years, actually. Oh, wow. But okay. um, well, I made one record with them, mm-hmm. excuse me, with Brandon O'Brien down in Atlanta. And the record's called Rebel Sweetheart. It's a secret. No one knows about that record. <laughs> <laughs> no, Fred. Interscope Not wanted, anymore, to, wanted to keep it a secret. Not anymore. <laughs> Even they, were, they, were, they released it, but they <laughs> didn't tell anybody. Uh, so we didn't tour very long on that one. And Jacob was kind of like, all right, maybe we should take a little break. And that's when I got the Dixie Chicks gig. Yeah. When we were living out there. And... Uh, and that was awesome. I started touring with them in 2006. Um, how did that come about? Um, that came about through... Because um, you said you knew, you met Oddly on the Dixie Chicks. Yeah, but I didn't know him beforehand. Okay. I heard about the gig through Michael Bland, the drummer. Yeah. He uh, was playing with Paul Westerberg when I first met him. I was, we opened for them with the Gigolo Ants. And we got to be pals, email friends and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, after Jacob said like, hey, I want to take a little break from the band. And I was like, oh, good. You know, I just had a baby. And, uh, <laughs> I guess I work at Costco now. <laughs> so I emailed a few friends and I was just like, hey, if you guys hear of anything, just let me know. And Michael emailed right away and was like, hey, I just, um, the Dixie Chicks wanted me to tour with them, but I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the tour manager's email. Why don't you hit him up and see what's going on? Nice. So I did. And I emailed him and, uh, 
sent in my stuff to the band leader, David Grissom. Mm -hmm. And I also was friends with uh, Gary Loris from the, uh, from the Jayhawks. Okay. And he had written a few songs for, for the new record with them. And so I uh, asked him if he would put in a good word for me or whatever Mm -hmm. with them. And he did. And that was it. They just called me and I came and met them at the Village Studios in Westwood over there. And uh, I just talked to Marty and Natalie for about an hour. And two days later, they said, okay, you're, you have the cake. Wow. Did you play yeah, cool. it? I mean, well, you, before you said you uh, talked to the manager and you, you sent stuff in. So Yeah, but mean? it was just like, I, I forget what they had me send. Maybe like a little bio or something i don't even know i have maybe was it music, music or was it i think just... maybe some music or i just sent like a list of things i had played on or something mm-hmm. which wasn't mm-hmm. a whole lot uh and it turns out they had never even i don't even think they had even heard that stuff or listened to it or seen it mm-hmm. so uh but j uh what's this gary uh loris since he had talk to them that was what i think sure caught just, their ear was like oh cool let's yeah and i playing the wallflowers and stuff mm-hmm. and they they were sort they didn't want to um they were sort of trying to move out of the the country world a little bit you know mm-hmm. and be a, right. a little more rocking or whatever they just made that record with rick rubin right and chad smith had played drums and stuff so um and i think actually the gig came down to me and kenny aronoff I know it did, actually. I know it did. Wow. Um, Kenny and I talked to it, talked about it. Wow. So it's pretty funny. Wow. Because he was one of my heroes. I'd seen him at, you know, Zildjian Day in New York and stuff. And yeah, I, right. When I was like a kid. Yeah. So it was pretty, uh, that was very, very crazy. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I just, I guess I want to talk about your setup a little bit. And, um, I see it just it's kind of unique in 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 the way that it's it's really low. I know. You sit above your drums. Yeah. Your snare drum is like below Super your knees. Super low, I know. Um and uh it just kind of really hit home when I was watching you play with the Dixie Chicks and I'm like but the thing that struck me was when you're playing the ride sim, you're doing something you're playing the ride cymbal and and you're just getting a huge sound I, I for me the snare drum has to be just right where i can i'm i'm hitting rim shot 90 mm-hmm. percent of the time backbeats at least and um so i'm just kind of watching man i i'm hearing this sound um it looked really painful uh, no it didn't <laughs> no it didn't you know what you when you were playing the ride someone it reminded me like cindy blackman where you had you were just moving a lot of your arm was just moving just and it seemed like there was this body movement over top of this kit which I like what you looked like was what the sound was coming out of you know mm. it's like I felt this this good time this good you know what I'm saying so you're just you're reaching out there you're playing that and it's like what how because it's like how do I how do I do that <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know what I'm saying? Um, so wh- how did this come about? Um, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, I think it just came. From, you got your first drum set as a kid, well, Mickey was, Mouse kit. I started bashing on it. <laughs> I did actually. My first drum kit was a little, it was a uh, Sears kit. Okay. 
the little pearl. It was I think they were made by Pearl. Possibly. But it was just this little blue kit. Yeah. They ended up taking the the covering off. <laughs> so <laughs> stupid. Do you still have a kit? I don't have it anymore. Oh, okay. I think I actually I think my we may have smashed it in the street. I just like <laughs> one of those stupid kid things you do. I did that with a mini Moog once. Oh my god. I look back on that now. It's it like, a bad decision. Yeah. Could have been worse. We were just bored. I think we were just bored suburban kids. We could have been carjacking. Yeah, know? that's true. I could have been carjacking. Um, <laughs> um, it, it, no, it, there's. Come on, man. You got to tell me more. It's just, I, know, I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, this is a safe zone. This maybe is you can really open up here. I mean, are you, like the way I hit the. The ride and stuff, or the no, way I no. set, just the way I set up, and the way I guess the way you set I think up the, the setup thing has morphed. So I don't think my I don't think I always have my snare that low. Mm-hmm. I think over time, from recording and stuff, um, where I didn't want to hit rim shots all the time. Yeah, and because you get so used to the when you're playing live all the time, you know you you, you do play rim shots a lot of right, the right. time, especially in rock stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, coming up watching dudes like Steve Jordan, that's, you know, that's, that's it. And, and Bonham and all those guys, everybody. So I don't know. I, but I think over time I started morphing and lowering my snare so that I wouldn't hit rim shots, forcing myself not to hit rim shots. Well, when you, like Jordan, you said he, like, he, he is plays part, rim shots. Right. All, you know, right okay. It's all rim shots. Sure, 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 you know. sure. And he gets that big ride sound. It's, you yeah, know, washy. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Which, I don't know where he got, I guess from Ringo. Ringo had a big washy ride sound. Mm-hmm. Um, all those rock and roll, you know, well, jazz and, all, you know, <laughs> right, the ride sure, symbol. Sure. And um, some early rock and roll stuff, not actually, is not all of it has like a big washy ride. I think what it is, I think what I was saying was when you were playing this particular track and you were playing on the ride but what it was it just when when I for me to sit behind that setup would be just in my mind is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But it looked really comfortable for you. I mean obviously you're going to set it up where it's comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't just like it it did not look, you know, sometimes when you see a player and just like, man, something's not quite right. He's mm-hmm. not, I mean, the sound coming out is, is fine, but, but yeah. I just can't see myself in that place. But it just looked really comfortable. Just like, yeah, this is my place and I can, I can play soft. I can play, I can rock it out, whatever. So you're not, and, and I guess that was the thing, the snare setup. It's like, well, you're not, it's going to be hard to get the rim shot, but you're still getting a huge sound out of it. Mm. Um so I don't know. I, um, maybe it just it it just is what it is. It is what it is. I think, and yeah. I think it just comes from uh, from that, from trying to make to get different sounds out of things like the way I want to hear it. Mm-hmm. So I would just adjust to the way I to where it feels great, where it feels right, gotcha. and and it is weird. I know. I look at it too, and I go, "Wow, my snare is really low." <laughs> you know, I say, "What the hell am I doing?" Why? And I don't, I can't explain it. And I'll, sometimes I'll raise my snare up now when I'm practicing or at home or something. And it's, and then I'm like clanking all over the place, you know, and I can't, so I have to lower it to us. It's got to be a certain thing. Right, right. But your setup is, uh, are are you still like uh, one rack, one floor, snare? Yeah, pretty pretty much. much. I mean, now in the studio, a lot of times I'll set up like this whole, not a whole giant thing, but I'll put my, uh, 
bass drum case there and just put perk stuff over there yeah. for just like weird things. So it's available. A lot of people want to do loops. Loops are back big time. So they go like, can we build a loop? And I'll just do like a live loop of stuff. Do you do, uh, I know there was a time when, you know, guys were running uh, programs and, and, and providing loops, you know, a whole library of loops that they had. I've never done know, that. Written. Okay. I've never done that. I mean, like, I never, or like programming stuff. Yeah, I never yeah, did. yeah. Never or coming into the studio with, with stuff or, or, you know, they're just really Oh, beforehand, savvy. yeah. Yeah, yeah, with that I've stuff. Never, never done that. And the few times that I've done loops, it's been the same kind of thing. It's been, you know, yeah, okay, we're going to throw the, right. Make your own. Yeah. I think it's yeah. more, it's more fun that way. Yeah. And, you know, the engineers usually seem to like that more too because they can have fun getting the cool sound out yeah. of it or something, you know. Yeah. And you'll get something more unique instead of everyone using the same loops from whatever programs are mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. you know. I, I, I think I, I struggle that with that just as far as like taking the time to sit down behind a computer and sitting and pressing buttons. And uh, I mean, this is just just personal. This is not take anything away from... Yeah, I mean, there are some amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just comes from just that creative element. Um, But I'm just one of those players that just has to be doing, just has to be. Yeah, I like I like the Um, doing it myself. Yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, you're just validating my my laziness behind. uh, (laughs) I have a hard time just like. It seems like a lot of work going like oh the all the in between stuff that you'd have to program. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I mean. I don't know. I've never done it, so maybe it would be really fun. I, <laughs> you know what I mean? I've never actually tried. So maybe we're going to pause this. We're going to do this. <laughs> we're going to go, make gonna, loops. We're gonna go right, We'll be right back. <laughs> we're going into a loop lab. Yeah. We're back. It didn't work. Um, <laughs> it was awful. Yeah, we couldn't get the computer to I wonder if they have that now at uh, <laughs> uh, uh, like a, a Berkeley lab loops. It's possible. Probably, I'm sure they have programming on that stuff. Well, we were listening to something yesterday, and my 12-year-old says, yeah, I mean, this electronic stuff, I mean, it's it takes as much skill as it is does to, to play. And I said, well, there's a creative element. I believe that for sure, mm-hmm. because there are killer players with just unending chops that come up with, I don't hear a lot of creativity, um, and the opposite is true. I hear just maybe players with limited facility that just come up, come up with, with the coolest thing. I yeah, know, yeah, it. and 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 sometimes it's that guitar player that 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 knows how to play a little bit of drums, and you're just like, oh man, wow, how did you do that? That I is know. really cool. I know, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or like a songwriter who can't really play drums, but they're like, I know, I have this thing in my head. And you just say, well, yeah. sit down and. Yeah. Do it for me or, yeah. you know, trying to... No rim that. shots, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did that... Well, let me lower my snare. <laughs> More. <laughs> There's so many iconic players um, that defined this city for what it was yeah. and continue to do that. But now... I'm seeing and I'm hearing more variations on this, and it's very exciting. Yeah, you know, um, and um, well, I playing think with somebody, playing on like, like I think Casey Musgraves is a perfect example of like, yeah. she's able to take an old style country, like a classic sort of folk. She, I see her as a very folk artist, and uh, 
making it sound fresh and poppy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She can just, it, and it always comes down to making everything very simple. She likes everything real simple. I can just be going boom, tat, boom, tat. Mm-hmm. And put, you know, it's like it comes out exactly the way it ought to mm-hmm. over what she's, you know, her, her song, her beautiful songs. So, can you tell me a little bit more about that that experience? Like what it was like to work with? Did she have a hand in the production? Or yeah, no, she produces it too. It's really? between her, her and Shane McAnally and Luke Laird. They produce it together, the okay. first record and this new one. And uh, yeah, it's just like she she listens to all different stuff too. You know, she's mm-hmm. very aware of what's going on and. Uh, she lo- her heart's in the classic country stuff. She loves Willie and Roger Miller and all that stuff, but she also likes, you know, Katy Perry or whatever. She likes that that poppy element. So, um, I don't know. She just knows how to to break it down to the most simple thing, mm-hmm. and and have it come across. And it still, everyone's personality is still coming through. Mm-hmm. You know, she assembles musicians that she knows have some have a have a personality a sound mm-hmm. and she doesn't try to like suck it out by making everything perfect you know exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. locking stuff down and, I see um and that's a, you know another example of it's just that na- those natural sounds everything's just very acoustic-y but you hear you know I don't, I don't know it's 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 done very very smart and very well that, great engineers yeah Maybe it's just not lining everything, or maybe that's how things are changing in a in a refreshing way. Is they're not yeah. lining everything, even if a lot of the songs we use to click or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, it doesn't come off sounding that way. Yeah. And on her new single, we actually didn't even use a click. I was going to ask you that. Biscuits. I mean, are you using a click on everything? No. No. Did you use a click when you played with Tixie Chicks live? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They they love having that click. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Some people love it. If I'm, they, I mean, they had it in their ears the whole time. Like, I'll use a click with Cheryl just mm-hmm. to start songs and stuff, and I'll probably turn it off a lot of times, or sometimes I'll just leave it on or whatever, you know. Yeah. If I'm feeling like things are a little unsteady that night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just depends. Right, but, right. Uh, but are you the yeah, only one that has it? Has with the, Cheryl's with thing, Cheryl. yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, did you play, uh, have you played records, well... I know the answer to that, but uh, with Casey, w- did you play on the whole record? Were there mm-hmm. different drummers? Okay, okay. Um, I know there's recordings sometimes where you come in, you'll do a, a song, you know, a couple songs or yeah. half the record or whatever, and another drummer will come in and do that. Yeah. You know, depending on what someone's look listening for and things yeah, like that. Uh, luckily, she hired me for the whole thing. Nice, yeah. very good. Um, well, man, can we talk about the Cheryl thing and how that came about? Sure. What's Cheryl came about with. Um, well, let me think. How did it all come out? I mean, it's just all, all of it, Coleman, all my friends, you know what I mean? Yeah. And same story. Oddly, names. I met Peter on that chick store. I met Peter Stroud, who's yeah. been Cheryl, with Cheryl for like 16 or 18 years, something like that. Long time. He uh, came out to some chicks shows. Mm-hmm. He has an amp company called 65. And, um, he and Audley have been buddies for a long time because they're both amazing guitar players. And um, 
we put together a little band called Big Hat. It's me and Audley and Peter and Robert, who plays bass with Cheryl, also Robert Kearns, and um, this guy Keith Gaddis, um, who's a songwriter here from Nashville. Yeah, your his name came up uh, the other day. Did you record a record with him? Yeah, I made a record with him and yeah. do a lot of stuff with him. Yeah, he's okay. great. He's great. Somebody recommended that. Said, oh, he's really check good. that record out. Yeah, he yeah. has. Well, I don't know if it, I hit the record that I played on ever, ever came out. It's called Bones. I don't think it's on iTunes or anything. I'll send you a copy. I was going to say, we've got to find it. we got to find it somewhere. No, seriously, somebody recommended that record. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. The great songs, and, and Keith's just a, he's a cool dude. That's so cool. That's cool. We put this, this band together called Big Hat, and we went down to Atlanta and recorded four songs. And... um you know, just released it as our own little thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, around that time, Peter hadn't done, there was like a, a couple of years where Cheryl did this like uh, sort of uh, bluesy, she does 100 Miles from Memphis record right. mm-hmm. with yep. Doyle Bram Hall. Sure. And um, he put that whole thing together sort of with his players and everything. And um, they toured for a couple of years and then... Um, she was living in Nashville, and I think she just wanted to put together a Nashville band. She sort of wanted to do a, a country thing or whatever sort of country thing. And yeah. um, she just asked Peter to help her put together a band. Mm-hmm. And I think so that since we were all playing together already, he was he just kind of asked us. Nice. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and I'd always love Cheryl. You know, Cheryl's an like yeah. unbelievable person and one of my favorite artists and you know, I'd practice along to the those first couple records. Just right. Being, just, I mean, the drummers that she's had play with her, are, every one of them is incredible. <laughs> you know, what I mean, every one of them is just great. Yeah. So it's it's like a dream gig for me. That's awesome. I feel like my style fits with her music very well, and where we're all coming from. And everyone in that band now, it's like a it's like a perfect little storm of rock musicians you know rock and roll That's musicians awesome. everybody gets it, it's a family everybody gets along it really is awesome. you know we've all we've all become very close over the years we've all been the well there's jen who's oddly's wife yeah peter who i've known now since you know 2006 or whatever and oddly and josh grange plays pedal steel he and i played with katie lang together yeah um, and, and he's done some Dixie Chicks stuff also. And then, uh, Robert Kearns, who he and Audley had a band together for years, um, called, uh, Cry of Love. Hmm. And so it's all, everyone's just, yeah, we've all played together for, for years and cool. it's awesome. This is a, it's been a great situation. I have that Katie Lane record. Uh, Sing it loud. Yeah, yeah, I love that record. It's a really man. good record. Yeah, um, I'm not the only drummer on that. There's a couple songs that, um, one song, the producer's brother Joe, Pasapia's brother Mark played on a yeah, song. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's sure. awesome, and um, and then uh, I can't think of that guy's name right now. It's gonna kill me. Another drummer on Sugar Sugar Buzz. You know that song? Sugar yeah, Buzz? yeah, 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 yeah. I can't think of his name. Paul Griffith. Awesome drummer. Oh, Amazing drummer. I know Paul. Lefty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 
Really? He's on that? Yeah, he's on that song. Well, Which is like my favorite song on the whole record. But <laughs> I just talked to Paul. I saw him at the Opry uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And I said, man, come talk to me. Oh, he's a beast. He's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was fun to watch um, them scramble to get the drum set turned around on the Opry so he could play left hand. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I said, I think Paul's coming up to play here. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he's cool. I've, I've known Paul for a long time. Um, he's always the guy that it's like, we've done a couple records where I've been on part of it and he's been on the other part and it's like, okay, here's the normal drums and here's the slippery, <laughs> slippery yeah. groovy drums. Uh, uh, yeah. that's, there's, that's Paul. Yeah. <laughs> I know it. He's yeah. He's good. really great. Um, is there anything that you've done where you're just like, I got to get out of this thing, you know, in the past or <laughs> that it sounds like you've gone from one really, fucking cool gig to another i've been very fortunate yes yeah the, uh, most of the stuff i've done i've yeah has suited me musically and i get i've gotten along with the people the only thing i left was was the wreckers and that was it was all me uh it's not you it's me it's not you. really you well i that? mean it was uh they were going through some some drama anyway the, the girls were sort of not getting along or whatever I don't, you know, uh, and I was f- a little bit fried because I'd gone right from the Wallflowers touring right to the Dixie Chicks thing and then right into the Wreckers thing. So I'd been on the road a lot and I had the young baby and I was just burnt. Mm-hmm. We had the two babies at that point. So, and we had just moved here. We moved here right in the, you know, in the time I was playing with the Wreckers and, um, so I was fried and stressed, and on top of that, they were sort of not getting along. So it was kind of like, I need to go. I just need to go home. So I did. Yeah. None of the wise. But there hasn't been any... Th- no, there's no... Otherwise, it's never like uh, situations where I was dreading anything. Yeah. You know, it's always yeah. been pretty cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I've <laughs> been very lucky. was a, a tweet from uh, Jerry Rowe mm-hmm. about um, some stuff that you guys recorded with uh, Stoney LaRue. Yeah. Um, double drums. Yeah. And stuff. Um, so uh, Jerry's one of the guys I, I, I've known for a while and I need to uh, get on this thing. I, I think I should start by asking him. I would listen to Jerry's podcast. <laughs> he should have his own podcast. I know. See, that's maybe that's why I'm, I'm holding off. <laughs> <laughs> He'll take over. He'll take over. Jerry's when best. I'm when I'm tired of doing this, um, I'll, <laughs> then I'll call him on here. So, um, one another uh, person, uh, Keo Stroud. We talked about the whole double drumming thing, mm-hmm. and um, that's just something I'm just kind of fascinated with. Um, did you guys? Uh, was that a thing in the studio? Was that uh, that was meant to be, or did that? Yeah. Kind yeah. Of, no, well, Frank, that was Frank Liddell produced that. Mm-hmm. And I had done the, uh, Stoney's record right before that, too. Um, or the one before that, not right before that. The one before that. And uh, that one has me and Chad Cromwell doing double drums, the whole thing. Oh, cool. Which was awesome. And uh, and then he wanted to do it the same way again the next record. So, mm. But um, he hired Jerry. He had met Jerry over the 
couple years in between the records or whatever and liked his playing and stuff. So, and Jerry, he knew that Jerry and I were friends. And mm-hmm. so he was like, well, let's have you guys do it this time. And it worked out great. Jerry's there, you know, it's always fun doing double drums though. Well, I mean, what, what kind of considerations are there? I mean, I, I hear about, um, guys taking on different roles, um, complementing each other, one playing, you know, uh-huh. but, but in the studio, it seems like it's a whole different beast uh, yeah, as well, it is recording in general. But I mean, double drumming seems to up the ante. Well, you sort of just kind of, um, we well, just start playing and at first you might say, well, you be the, uh, straight ahead sort of laying down the groove guy and I'll mm-hmm. be, I'll be the percussiony guy on this one. Mm-hmm. And that may change instantly. It could be like, well, this part, even though I have the percussiony stuff set up or I've tuned, put towels on my drums and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. This kit sounds better for the straight ahead thing. And what you're doing sounds better percussiony or vice versa. Yeah. And you just kind of go with whatever's working, you know? <laughs> and so it's mostly that, you know, mostly say like, I'll do more of the, mm-hmm. I'll be playing toms while you play kit, while you play yeah, you know, kick snare hat or whatever. And you just build on that. Yeah. Well, that, and that that kind of brings me to another thing is one of the things you mentioned before was, you know, it's like, well, I one of the things I do is I know how to tune drums. Mm-hmm. So in, in that way, I mean, so... Or manipulate drums. Yeah, so, so right, because there's sessions that I've done where you, you're throwing towels and, and wallets and, and tam- taping tambourines to kick yeah, yeah. drums and stuff like that. Um, it or preparing drums, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, as it were. But is there something that you're doing? Um, what's kind of your philosophy about that? I mean, as far as uh, how you're tuning drums, is there something like this? Is I like I like going here with the tom sound. I like. Yeah, I mean, when it, well, I usually try and well, we listen to the demo of, of a song first, mm-hmm. and I'll usually try and picture what um, what I think would suit the song best what sound anyway would suit the song best and so just try you know manipulate the drums or whatever what are you bringing to the studio as far as snares or cymbals or usually just a four-piece kit and then um extra snares i have about eight or ten snares that i bring you know Mm -hmm. and then uh tons of percussion stuff Mm -hmm. and a bunch of different cymbals and um, is it raining right now? Is that yeah. the sound of rain? Really? Yeah. Uh, and that's it. That's, you know, it's not, I don't have a big complicated thing. Yeah. Um, are you, what's the size of your drums? 22, 13, 16 usually. Okay. For the regular kit. And, uh, yeah. There was a, um, I think one of the videos that I found of you online was you were talking about, um, I think it was for Vic Firth. I well, Vader is Vader. Oh, Vader. Yeah. I was with Vic Firth for for years, and then I switched okay. to Vader. I don't know when I switched to Vader. Probably like two thousand five or something like that. Okay. Um, you were playing a certain stick with Katie Lang, and then mm-hmm. you were saying, "Well, you know, when I'm gonna with this gig, the seven A works." Yeah, like more of a jazzy kind of sound. But now I've stuck with that. I've stuck with the, Oh, really? With the it's called a swing is the name of the stick. Okay. I was using the Manhattan 7A. Yes, that was a great one. That's a great one. It was a great stick. They're all, you know, Vader makes amazing stuff, but right. uh 
Yeah, and then I switched to swing, which I can't remember the difference. I know the bead is different. Okay. Um, and it's probably, you know, probably just a different length and a little bit. I see. Sort of like a 7A, though. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I kind of use that all the time. Yeah. And sometimes they feel heavy. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I don't know why, but some days I pick them up and I go, wait, is this, I pick up the I pick up a 5B or something, yeah. you know, but it's the swing. Uh, one of the things when I first moved to town and, and I, I realized that people wanted big drum sounds, they wanted, you know, and somebody was saying, I, I was playing a Manhattan 7A mm-hmm. and uh, they said, they picked up a, a 2B and they said, here, listen to this, Tom, boom. And I was like, oh, wow, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, if I'm playing tastefully and simple, uh, I don't need to play fast. I just need that big, fat sound. Yeah. But then you hear about players with huge sound or great sound with small sticks mm-hmm. or, you know, um, or switching sticks. I mean, uh, so the Cheryl gig is a louder gig than Katie's. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm still using, I'm using the still swing. using that. I've stuck with it. I just feel like, with the giant, I was using those. I was using powerhouse with uh, with the chicks even, mm. and uh, which are huge, yeah, They're pretty big. Yeah. They're like a big five B or something. And I think I just kind of I don't know. I it's it's a lot of work. <laughs> They're just heavy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I after I switched down to a lighter stick. Just the tone of it and everything on the on the drums and the cymbals, yeah. yeah, just feels better to me. Yeah. Well, and I think like I'm trying to struggle with that right now. I'm sure listeners are tired of like Matt. Enough of your questions, personal questions. But, um, <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I feel it's like how do I balance this? What 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 people are saying? Oh, you should try this. You should do this. Or this is kind of a sound that uh, this this player gets because they're using this or that. And then I'm questioning, like. Am I doing what I want to do? Because mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. I and and I I'm relating this to sticks in in particular. Um, I'm using this particular Regal Tip stick, which which is which is great, and I I, I love that. It's it's um, but it's just heavy for mm-hmm. me. It's starting to get heavy. You know, it's like man, am I going to miss something by switching to a smaller stick? But no, I don't think so. No. Um, I don't think Especially so. when I picked up Steve Jordan's stick, and I'm like, "Wow, he's wow, he uses light sticks." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, because uh, so well that in in conjunction with the way you tune the, I mean, if you open up the tom or whatever, that's going to make it sound bigger. You know what I mean? If you're not having, and I, it's it, it's it's like a combination of the engineering, the way it sounds. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the way they're recording the the thing. Yeah, it's going to make a big sound do you keep different sticks with you for different i mean i know we've got mallets and brushes and all those gadgets but i mean as far as sticks are concerned yeah sometimes i'll have a couple bigger sticks but i very rarely will pick up a bigger stick to okay to get the job it's like we need a rock thing on this i just play it with the yeah just play i just open up the toms a little bit usually and maybe the kick and yeah and the snare. How would you do how would you go about that i mean when you say open up the tom oh because well for the most part I start with like muffling on the on the toms. Mm-hmm. I just start there with like a little piece of cloth okay. on each tom, and so in the like, studio, yeah, in the studio, okay, yeah, yeah, and live too. I have these little oh, okay. I just have like a little piece of a. It's from a baby blanket that I've cut up. What kind yeah. of heads are you using? I use Aquarian. Okay, 
um, Aquarian uh, texture coated on the toms. Just their it's like what an ambassador is. Sure. They actually Aquarian is awesome. They send you a thing that says if you're looking for the Remo ambassador sound or something, <laughs> you know, similar to yeah. this yeah. is our version of, sure. of that, you know. Which is, is great because then you kind of you can check out those things that they're relating it to that you've liked because most people probably start out on Remo stuff. Right. I, sure. I mean I did anyway, but sure. Sure. Uh but the Aquarian stuff is incredible. Their heads are awesome. And the, like the people I've had actually had more producers and engineers go like, what is that head you're using on that snare? Or really? what are those heads you're using? I've actually had a bunch of people ask about it since I've switched to Aquarian. So you're using like the single ply texture coated. Texture coated on the toms. I use super kick on the yeah, like coated the on the, uh, on the kick. And then for the snare, I've been using either performance to or resonant response to or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also have been using, they have these ones that are, I believe they were meant to sound more like a, like a calfskin head, but they're they're called like their mon- modern vintage yes. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been using those. On a couple of different snares like that, one of those on a Black Beauty sounds pretty incredible. It just sounds great, and cool. you can make it sound. You can do the thing where you're just hitting on the center of the head, making it fat. You know, mm-hmm. and they sound mm-hmm. really good for that. And they're great with brushes. Yeah, the texture of them is cool. Yeah, yeah. so I always thought they're, they're, the quality was really consistent with them. Super consistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. Um, well, uh, I guess. Can we talk a little bit about just endorsements and kind of who you're with? You talked about Vader. Yeah, Vader, Peisty. Yeah. I was with Sabian for years and years, and then I switched. Uh, I think when I got the Chicks gig, I actually mm-hmm. ran into Abe Jr. at uh, the NAMM show in L.A., and he's like, you got to come here, the new Peisty. Uh, mm-hmm. It was like the 20 series or something had just come out, I think, then. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a little bit before this 20 series came out. But anyway, uh it was right before I was going on tour with the chicks. And uh, so I went over and talked to Andrew Treve at their booth. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was, he kind of hooked me up after that. And I love Pisces. Yeah. You know I mean, yeah. Uh, and then Ludwig drums. I've been playing Ludwig for a long time. They signed me. Uh, I met Todd Trent, who was their artist rep for about 25 years. I met him when I was in the Gigolo Ants opening for the Counting Crows. Oh, cool. We toured with the Counting Crows a bunch because we eventually, when we lost our RCA um, record deal, Adam signed us to his deal. He had a, he had a little label. Oh, cool. He had a label through, Intersc- or through Interscope called yeah. E Pluribus Unum. And we made a record for him, so we played hundreds of gigs with these guys. And their drummer, Ben Mize, was a Ludwig guy. Yeah. And um, Todd used to come out to all their gigs. So me and Todd just got to be good friends for like 10 years before he would sign me. I was always <laughs> like, hey, man, I'm still here. I'm still doing it. <laughs> and uh, uh, finally, um, uh, when I got the Wallflowers gig, he was like, whatever you want, you know, we'll hook you up. So, uh, that's nice. And then he left. Then he left Ludwig. So we've had a reto- rotating cast of of uh, artist reps since then 
And the new guy is amazing. They just got this guy, uh, Ulysses Salazar. I'm going to call him Uli or Uli. I'm not sure. Hmm. I've just uh, e- emailed with him, but he's he's great. And uh, they have some new stuff coming out that looks incredible, actually. They have a, um, some new mahogany mahogany legacy series thing coming out that looks really cool is it mahogany is like the new maple it, it's 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 just i'm starting to see it well you know i play those ludwig standard kits from from they made them from 68 to like 75 yeah and those are mahogany yeah and i lo- i mean that's all i play really <laughs> yeah those mahogany ones yeah i have a kit for for live and then i have um but being endorsed by them, but you're are you playing the new stuff? Yeah, sometimes I do. Yeah. Like I've taken I've taken new kits out on the on the road, like a maple the maple kits, and they sound awesome. They're yeah. they're great, you know. Yeah. But uh, for some reason, I just always gravitate back to. I've had that the one avocado strata kit that I have. I've had for like eighteen twenty years or something now. Mm-hmm. I bought it at Jack's Drum Shop in Boston, mm-hmm. out of the window. Well. And uh, I just love that sound. There's nice and warm sounding, you know. Yeah. So I stick with that. But uh, twenty two, thirteen, really, sixteen. Yep. Yeah. I can't wait to hear these new. I mean, the the finish they have been showing of the new uh, the new mahogany thing is is really beautiful. It's like it looks like a, like a butterscotch mm. thing. It's really cool. Uh, so um, I've got a. Um, the Catalina Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's mahogany, and it just in, in the lower register just it tunes up so yeah, well. Yeah, they sound great. They're um, warm and nice. And then um, a set of seventy-one Ludwig's that are getting the edges fixed. Yeah, as we speak. I think that's what my avocado kit, the avocado strata kit, is okay. a seventy-one. Okay. They're as old as me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited to hear them. And just, I can't wait to get them back. Uh, yeah. Just have to decide <laughs> what to put on them, but um, I may have to check out the. Uh, yeah, you got to yeah. put some Aquarians. Aquarians had heads on them. I was thinking about actually on the way here, I was like, working drummer. I was like, well, I. <laughs> well, you could talk about all the jobs I've had that weren't. <laughs> well, weren't drummer jobs. You're right. I mean, I've had so many friggin' jobs. Over my, I think that's important. But man, I think that's important. I think, I think, because uh, that's the struggle. You know, you have to keep you. It's it's just living. You're just living, right? I'm just a drummer still. But I have, well, you know. feel free to expound upon this. But when I first moved to Nashville, and I had I had I was working a lot. Uh, I was teaching and working retail at a music store and playing in multiple bands in in, in Columbus. I moved to Nashville. I had to literally start over. Had a young family. Um, I was stocking shelves at a grocery store, and songwriters and session players were coming in, and I was feeling rather overwhelmed, um, mm. just by, uh, I, I don't know, uh, not feeling particularly Life. happy yeah. about having to do this when I just, I would, and a, and a good friend of mine said, you know what, man, you are so dedicated to do music that you're doing whatever it takes. To put food on the table so you can keep doing music. Yeah, that's what you do. And I'm like, you're right. I don't have a gig. I don't have a music gig that's paying my bills. So I have to do whatever it takes. Um, 
I needed that so bad. I needed for him to say that. That I had choices, but I chose this so I can maintain music. And I think that um, it's hard for people to, to accept partic- you know, different types of, of work. And I, yeah, the title of this is Working Drummer, but um, there are lots of players out there that they just they love what they do and they're playing, but that's not the only thing that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's, you're right, man. It's working, it's doing whatever you have to do just yeah. so you can make music and... and and in many ways, uh, do it on your own terms more so than mm-hmm. if all you did was play. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, you just got to do what you got to do. That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love practicing. I, I love sitting down in my... I have a little room in my garage mm-hmm. where I have a kit set up, and I practice almost every day that I'm off, I practice. Wow. Okay. Not for the whole day. <laughs> I usually will set aside maybe an hour. Yeah. Or more. But, uh, and I have like a playlist of songs that I, you know, I'll change up and, and practice along to. And um, that's it. I, I, I actually love practicing. Yeah. Um, and is, is that what is involved is just play along, playing along with stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Playing along to records. Okay. And I'll play along to, um, Stuff that I've been playing along to for years, mm-hmm. and then I'll try playing along to stuff that I am not good at. You know what I mean? It's always good to challenge yourself. Like I play along to a lot of jazz stuff just to challenge myself because I'm not a jazz player mm-hmm. professionally or anything. I've never really played a jazz gig or anything like mm-hmm. that. You know, I've never recorded it. Are you free on the twenty second? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now I feel like I actually may be good enough to 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 pass to play a gig or something, a jazz gig, a straight ahead jazz gig or something. Um, and it's something I want to do. Actually, I want to I want to put together a jazz band mm-hmm. where we just get together and play and learn a few songs and then go out and do it somewhere. But um, so yeah, I still challenge. I try and challenge myself. Yeah. All yeah. the time. Yeah. And I feel like I've gotten better. Mm-hmm. And I feel the stuff helping my playing when I come into the studio. I like being able to just come in the studio and feel like I'm good and that I can just do what, what is needed. Right, right. I hate, there was nothing worse than feeling like if I didn't play for a week or something mm-hmm. and then you have a recording session mm-hmm. or a gig and you just get, you kind of feel a little off. Yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah. can't do that anymore. I have to, I feel like. I need to be able to just be on it all the time. Right. I'm with and, you. you know, you just got to practice to be that good. Or to be, you know, to be able to do that, to have right. that feeling. Right. You have to practice all the time or else you're gonna, it's going to go away. So. Yeah. I feel like I've known people, maybe it was just when I was younger, when I, I wouldn't hear them and they just seem like they never practice, but they just sit down and play. And Some people, just, maybe that works. Yeah. yeah, but I'm the I'm not Especially that. Especially with drumming, it's such a physical thing, and yeah, there's balance and there's all that. So, so the, and I mix it up. You know, I do th- since Cheryl's gig is a rock and roll gig. It's very demanding physically. I feel like mm-hmm. it's pretty up. You know. Yeah. And so when a gig's coming up, we haven't played for a while. I start. I put a you know plan along to our like live shows or whatever, just to get back in the head frame and mm-hmm. get physically back in shape. Cause I can feel it when I go out there and I play four songs 
really rocking or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm out of breath already. You know, yeah, before it's yeah. like, oh my god, I'm really out of shape. Yeah, I just hate those feelings. So uh, you know, is there anything that you do uh, to keep yourself in shape or to kind of like create this standard of living so that you? Well, can that drumming? playing alone keeps you pretty in good shape. I feel like and. I do go to the Y and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. here and there. And my wife is a yoga instructor, actually. Okay. So I try to do yoga, and um, I feel like that's that's just great for peace of mind. <laughs> You're probably really good at yoga, but because your wife's an instructor, you probably think, I'm not. I'm not good at it. I don't do it as much. I, I mean, she does it every day. Yeah. I'm, I'm not that person. I'll do it a few times a month. And I want to do it more. Yeah. And I probably, I definitely could. Yeah. But I, I don't have a personal practice yet of that, of yoga. Sure. Like, so I can't just, it's hard for me to just sit down and, and do it. Like, mm-hmm. I'll force myself a couple times on the road to get in the hotel room and start trying to do some yoga. But I feel like I need my wife there <laughs> prodding me and just telling me exactly what to do at all times. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I guess one, one last thing is just, could you tell me a little bit more about the the Cheryl gig as as far as uh, maybe how it's differed than other gigs in the past? Um, you briefly touched upon the uh, the click thing and how you yeah. set that up, and was there um, was there a lot of freedom to kind of do that? Because she's played with so many different drummers and and so many different situations. Um, I think the style of her band has evolved over time. It's changed over time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So, I mean, how much input do you get from her or from other band members? Or is there just, because you guys were hired all together as a new group, I mean, that, that must have been maybe to your advantage to kind of come in. I don't know. Could you? Yeah, it probably was to my advantage. And, well, uh, my head is a big jumble now. Um, <laughs> she doesn't really give a whole lot of direction. I mean, I remember the, the first time I played with her, mm-hmm. um, she, well, we came into to just, she kind of auditioned us to do, it was like a corporate gig coming up that her band couldn't do because mm-hmm. they're at most of her, the band that she had her rock band before the, the rocking thing before that, before the, the more soul band, um, they all went, and started playing with uh, Noel Gallagher mm-hmm. for his his band, the High Flying Numbers. Is that what's called High Flying Numbers? High Flying Birds. I can't remember now. Um, so, um, I feel like she she wanted that. She wanted more of the rock thing back, and we all kind of play in that that way anyway so mm-hmm, it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't like she had to do a lot of um and peter you know he's been with her so long that he knew he knows what she's gonna like and what she's not gonna like so yeah. and so he kind of cast it that way anyway it's like we all we all fell into it pretty pretty easily i guess yeah yeah so there wasn't a lot of input from her, but you knew, like, well, this is what I have to do. And I then, mean, for when you're learning stuff like that, there's signature fills and stuff yeah. that you sort of have to do. Okay. And the feel's always going to be, or the the base, the beat of it is always going to be the same. Everyone's feel is going to be a little different, but you try right. and get it. But uh, you're not copping right off the record. You're playing like you. Pretty much, yeah. I play just how I, how I 
interpret it, but it's also mm-hmm. um, the part is there. You know, what I mean? the yeah. parts of the songs are there, right. and everything's right. So I'm not. And are you? What playing? I do is not going to make a difference, and then as far as like changing the song or anything. So, are you settling in on parts that you're creating for certain songs, or do you leave room for interpretation? I mean, how flexible is the song list or the arrangements? Um, everything's pretty set. Yeah. Everything's pretty set. Like we, I mean, eventually, or usually sometimes, occasionally, I mean, she'll uh, say, oh, well, let's do like a little extended solo here or let's do this, mm-hmm. you know, add this part here or, or we'll do a different intro to this or we'll mm-hmm. end it differently this time, this way or, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, not, 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 not a ton of stuff yeah. has, has really changed that much. And then, um, as far as tempos, uh, are you pulling them right off the record or she's, you know, where are you pulling from the record? And actually they have, um, there was like a master list that I think, uh, I don't remember. I don't know who it was just the, the drum tech had it. Yeah. Of all the songs with tempos. Okay. So if anything from, had changed. Yeah. So we would just kind of go, we'd start with whatever the tempo was they have. Cause, um, yeah, he would adjust from all the different live sure. things, you know, sure. if they did things differently. Nice. But, nice. uh, yeah. And then there's a couple songs we do play with a loop, you know, a couple loops. And so that's pretty much set. And I control all that stuff so I can turn them on and off if, okay. uh, if need be, but it's all very simple, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that's I think that's that's the other thing is is that it's it's all much bigger than we realize uh, when we're looking at it, you know, from the outside, and then you realize either oh, this is the reality of it. It's a lot simpler. Than it's a lot simpler. Or, you yeah. yeah, like I was you know you stress out over it for a few weeks, then you go like, wait a minute, I'm just playing music. Everything's cool. <laughs> I know how to do this. I can play a song. I can get right, right. Song. Maybe that's where maybe that's where it's coming down to. Yeah. Um, so for the rest of this year, she's doing some writing. How she's doing some do writing. We, we've done some recording already for oh, nice. demoing up songs Okay. Um, at her. She's got a home studio right, doing that. Right, right. And then, um, so I've just been recording a lot. We have Casey's record is coming out yeah. in June. Ashley Monroe's new record. I played on all that. It's, okay. it's, gonna, it's an incredible record. That's going to be great. Her new single's out. Um, it's called On to Something Good. Uh-huh. Vince Gill produced it. Oh, wow, cool. And working with him, um, I've gotten to play in a couple songs for his new record. Oh, wow, Which is great. pretty awesome. Nice. And, um, and Justin Ebank also, I should mention, mention Justin, just in case he ever listens to this, because <laughs> he's an incredible What's his engineer. name again, Justin? Justin Niebank. He's just a great engineer. And I think he, I guess he's sort of co-producing that also. Um, Ashley's record, I mean, and then uh, Striking Matches is a record. This band that just came out, which is a record I did with T Bone Burnett, who I had never worked with before, yeah, which was pretty incredible. And um, uh, this girl Allison Moore, her new record yep. just came out. Um, I remember when Michael Webb was working with her, yeah, years ago. She, yep, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. And uh, anything special about T Bone as far as working with him in the studio? He's just some. He's just very good at like the power of suggestion and 
creating a nice, uh, the right vibe and like, uh, maybe playing, uh, a song or something to influence how you're about to approach song. You know what I mean? Like he'll, he'll just play like a Bo Diddley song or something, you know, if the song, even if the song is, it was like their thing is, uh, striking matches. They're like a guitar duo. They're mm-hmm. like these virtuoso young guitar guys, mm-hmm. a guy and a girl. They're incredible musicians, great singers. And they write these sort of pop, uh, sort of country. There's some jamming involved. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, it's very, mm-hmm. we didn't use a click on the whole record. It's very loose and they're so good. You don't need to. Mm-hmm. And their feel was very good. So, um, you just, I just kind of followed them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so he would like, if, if there was like this weird sort of ballad, the sort of, some of their stuff could lean, I guess what you call mainstreamy or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. something that could be on radio, I guess. And then he would want it just a little left of center, you know, just think about this kind of groove listen to this tune, you know, and get, just get, just soak it in a little bit into yeah. your head and just think about how maybe that approach would work on this, this song, you know? And, uh, so he would play like a, just a, another song. Yeah. Just something, some, something some other kind of yeah old, old artist or something that, that, that he, you know, he just wanted to hear some sort of element of that thing going on to get it inside. Yeah. Everyone let's think this way. Yeah. Let's just feel it sort of around here and uh and even if we did do a couple loops on that record but if we it was a loop i would create without a click Mm -hmm. so i just think sort of about the vocal and how you know how it's going to feel or how it's supposed to feel and then they would just take like three or four bars of that thing and we just play to that oh nice but a live loop without a click you know so it had some a little motion to it so you'd kind of have to feel that out right but they were looping. But they were looping that. Yeah. The bars, whatever they yeah. chose. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. Oh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. That'd yeah, be a good way to feel it. Yeah. Um, and that way, it's still breathing a little bit, you know. Yeah. It's not. It's not locked down at all. Right. 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 And I can play in time for four bars sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Enough to make a loop out of, <laughs> without a click. That's going to be your quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the pull quote. Great. <laughs> I can play in tune or in time for four bars. I can count to four too. I can count to four. He doesn't like count ins either. He doesn't like uh, 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 like clicking. Yeah. Like to to count off a tune. Like one, two. Yeah. He wants you playing the groove uh-huh. and sort of falling in more than than. Because uh, I know sometimes people set up the grooves. They say, well, "We're just going to groove on this. We're going to feel it, and then and and then." You know we're gonna kind of stop. Yeah, yeah. And we're gonna, but then we're gonna count it in. But it's still, there's still yeah, that yeah. count in or whatever. Which, uh, which I guess, yeah. There's, there's guys who do it, like James Gadson. You know that drummer? I don't. He, uh, he was uh, Bill Withers' drummer. Oh, James Gadson, okay. sick, well, amazing. So he still does that stuff. He'll just play the groove for a while, and then yeah. like there's, there's like people will just record his little his count ins because that's how he does it. He'll just play the groove and then count it in. Take a little breath before you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. It makes know, it, he's well, the metronome, right? And it makes sense. And and then there's the whole 
being able to count in where it matches the feel and the yeah. tempo of the yeah, it's of, hard to do of the song and, and um I wish I could remember the drummer's name um played with Joan Osborne for a number of years. Oh uh incredible player. Um talked about one thing that we never practice is practicing counting counting in a band when we're by Joan Osborne was it Quintana or whatever that's the last name no he had a he had a record called One Hand Clapping oh I know who you're talking about uh had a great book lots of philosophy yeah yeah it's a super educational yeah 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 um I'll figure it out and uh, fly it in <laughs> that's an I'll use someone else's voice to be like a bad <laughs> overdub <laughs> um but that was the thing uh, I mean this is kind of unrelated to what you're talking about to to but but it was it was I never thought of that and I would actually practice counting so that my count, the tempo and the feel matched exactly the beginning of the song. So we started right at the top, mm-hmm. strong, and it was good. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. Yeah. You know, and it was it was so true because I would count in the song and like, wait, that's not the tempo. It's <laughs> somewhere else. Yeah. Especially when you're using it without a click or trying to, you know. Oh yeah. Um, man, thanks so much. Absolutely. I Thanks appreciate uh, taking the time to do this. I yeah. appreciate you having me. Thanks, man. Hopefully uh, somebody will learn something. I don't know who will, but... <laughs> well, I don't care about anybody else. <laughs> you learned something. I have. Okay, good. <laughs> I learned something. 